Alex Magleby here, CEO and co-founder of the New England Free Jacks, and you're watching the Jacks Rangers show. Huzzah, friends! Let's ride! Huzzah, Rangers! This is Phil Harris here at the Jacks Rangers show. I am broadcasting from beautiful Manchester, New Hampshire, here at the old Granite Outpost. There will be a new Granite Outpost very soon. I'm in the process of moving right now. But how about our New England Free Jacks in week one, proving once again that the NOLA Gold are indeed fool's gold. This is the fourth win in a row over the New Orleans Gold. Super excited for MLR 2023 with that week one win for our Free Jacks. And now we've got a tall task ahead of us here against the San Diego Legion in week two. Tall task ahead in front of us for the Free Jacks. But welcome to episode 66. We are calling this one the fall of the Roman Empire. In this episode, we have a great interview with co-owner and co-founder of the New England Free Jacks. His name is Eric Anderson. Really enjoy talking to Eric. From there, we move over to the Outriders segment, the NOLA review with Diamond Dave and myself. And finally, we've got the San Diego preview, Diamond Dave and myself there. And I will be back with you to, to close up shop as I always do. Without further ado, hit that theme music, baby. Woo! Huzzah! Huzzah, Rangers! This is Phil Harris here at the G rangers show him join with the co-owner and co-founder of the new england free jacks his name is eric anderson eric how the hell are you i'm doing great today yeah yeah it's awesome <laughs> to be on the show here so um we follow what you do i'm sorry i'm like eating candy um, you're good man it looks jacks. like you've uh you know hijacked uh our, our good friend mags's office there how's that going I, I totally did like my professional office the biotech office is down the hall here <laughs> we are doing this and i was like well i can't do this from the alloy office like hold right. on so yeah i've got one of our one of our co-owners here nate Abner, nate behind Abner. Me. Yep. there's like some funky stuff is in mag's office i can go pull out of the woodwork if you want to see something i'm sure there's a rubber chicken somewhere in there <laughs> like a horse's head down there on the floor yeah no we got yep. some stuff that yeah, sounds right. right that sounds right for mags for sure um where are you from initially uh i grew up on a farm in western kansas so um, a little place called Kinsley, Kansas, and uh, a little farming town. And then from there, made my way east to Kansas City. Okay. And uh, eventually in Kansas City, Manhattan, Kansas, down in Wichita one summer. And so just that's kind of the area where I grew up. And then um, and then from Kansas City out to the Northeast. So back in 1996, moved to, uh, to New England and uh, have been here ever since. Well, a little stint down in New York, which we don't consider part of New England. So no, we definitely don't. <laughs> I can, Boston can forgive me for that. Yeah, yeah. my, my useful dalliance is living in New York City. Gotcha. Yeah. I, I, what's interesting is our one of our contributors, one of our main contributors to the show, um, Dave, mm -hmm. uh, who's on here quite often with me. He is from Kansas and moved to New England as well. I think he might have been in Manhattan most of his life. I think yeah, his yeah. dad is like a professor there at the University of uh, what is it, Kansas State, or hey, at least. State. Yeah, at least he he was at the time of you know growing up. So that's that's awesome. I didn't know that about you. Wait, Bill, do you Kansas know guy. that Manhattan, Kansas? So I lived in Manhattan for a bit. Mm -hmm. It's known as the Little Apple. 
I think I did know that. Big apple and there's the little apples. So it's right yeah. there on the water tower. It's pretty funny. So, That's pretty yeah. wild, yeah. I know one of uh, one of my favorite coaches of all time that went to uh, was coaching at Carolina came from uh, Kansas State, which is Frank Martin, men's basketball coach, who's yeah. now at UMass. So yeah, that's how I know a little bit about Manhattan. I'm such a sports guy, like you know, all these places all over the country. You have you know a little bit of something something about some of these places just from Northern. athletics. It's wild. Yeah. Well, I thought you were going to say Roy Williams there for a bit. You know, oh, yes. Carolina and Kansas connection. He's obviously not from Kansas, but, right. you know, he, he was a good coach. I'm from North Carolina, and my great-grandmother, God rest okay. her soul, was a huge UNC basketball person. So yeah, I grew yeah. up, you know, kind of supporting them or watching the Tar Heels, but I went to the University of South Carolina instead. I think that was a good decision. But uh, well, that's for <laughs> another another podcast. Um Let's talk about what is your origin story with rugby? Were you a high school rugby guy like Mags was? I played a bit in high school. Yeah. So it oh. was, you know, how a lot of us that didn't grow up with rugby, how some, well, so many of us found it. Mm -hmm. um, there was a classmate of mine in high school and his, his dad's from England and, you know, okay. he, he grew up with the sport a little bit and his dad was nice enough to be, to say, Hey, let's coach. And we actually put together a pretty big team and they're in Kansas city at the time. So this was in the nineties yeah. and early nineties. Um, there, there were a fair number of more of the Catholic schools that didn't have mm. football teams. Mm -hmm. and, and that kind of fit in with that. We were a public high school, Shawnee Mission East, go Lancers. Okay. Um, so we, we had a football team, but we had this rugby team uh, as well. And, you know, these other teams that we would play against, some of them didn't have football teams. And like that kind of that thread of like how rugby comes about, all you need is a pitch and a ball and it's very mm -hmm. accessible. And this is why it's loved all over the world. Yep. Um, it was, it was exactly that experience. And, you know, depending on the year, there were somewhere between eight and 12 teams, maybe across our league. Now, rugby was pretty strong out there in, in, in Kansas hmm. uh, at the time, you know, St. Louis had a good rugby culture up to, to Chicago and just the yep. Midwest. So yeah, I'm, I'm excited this year for Chicago to be joining. I mean, I've been, inside MLR, you know, definitely advocating for, for some Midwestern expansion. Yes. We got good folks out there. So yeah. Yeah. I'm for excited sure. that Chicago is coming on board this year. It's a rugby hotbed, and I'm so glad that, you know, Chicago was able to join into the league. Obviously, a huge TV market, huge sports market. A lot of people yeah. love rugby around that area, so it just makes a lot of sense. Super yeah. excited for them to join the league for sure. Are you in the same fraternity as Mags? If so, we're uh, fraternity brothers. He, he, you were a Theta Delta? Yes, at the University of South Carolina. I was the president uh, of uh, – it. are you That's a Theta awesome. Delta? Dude? I have a friend. Who was that? We were not in the same fraternity. He was actually okay. in the fraternity. There is a church and that separates the two of our fraternities on campus. No it is kidding. in like the DMZ between our two fraternities. And that wow. The poor church in between those two fraternities at Dartmouth. Crazy. Um, no, I was at a fraternity. I was at a I was out camping uh a few weeks ago with some buddies. Mm -hmm. And uh and and a guy who was there who was a friend of ours. He he was like the answer to his question of like whether he could handle something was. I was the social chair at a fraternity at the University of Michigan. <laughs> and it was like, there, there was no like direct context where we were like, right. Yeah. You can do anything like yeah, yeah, totally. that. Makes but, total yeah, sense. Yeah. yeah. Totally, that guy, totally. yeah, that yeah, guy's like, been through the ringer. <laughs> yep. Yep. Like completely. Um, For sure. Dartmouth is a little bit, as I'm sure you, you know, from mags, mm. like the, the social scene at Dartmouth is one of those is, is one where it's such an intimate environment, right? Because yep. there's nothing else going on in the town. Right. And so it was this wonderful student-controlled social space um, that does have some national affiliations, but a lot of the, the fraternities and sororities are local. What most people don't know about that is actually the oldest student-controlled social space in the entire country actually was started at Dartmouth, a group called United Fraternity. Wow. And, uh, 
And that went all the way back to 1786. And it's been continuously in operation since 1786. So there's this incredible kind of just very local um, culture around mm-hmm. student controlled social space. Um, wow. Which kind of like, anyway, it's, it's kind of fun that, you know, there's always yeah. been this, this like independent social streak. So. It, that's it, very it, New Hampshire-ish. You know what I mean? That's very, very much yeah, yeah, like yeah. New Hampshire. Um, let's talk about your origin story or excuse me, the origin story of the Free Jacks. So we went yeah. through your origin story. We went through how you found rugby and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. How did the Free Jacks come about? Well, I mean, credit to Mags, really, right? So Mags is the one that's Mr. Rugby, right? Mm-hmm. So um, so he had been paying attention to this for a long time. Um, Mags' wife actually was employee number one at two of my biotech companies. Wow. Um, she should have known better by the second one, basically. Huh. So, you know, she, um, but Mags and I, obviously, friends undergrad uh, and at Dartmouth, and, yeah. uh, but he was actually good at rugby. We... We joke. We both came to Dartmouth. We played as freshmen. Uh, we yeah. both knew the rules because we played in high school, and I think we might have been the only freshman that knew the rules. Sure. And so we both made the team because he was really good, and I at least knew the rules, and that's what passed for quality. <laughs> so, um, so it was good. But we both played flanker, and so. But if you go to theflanker.com today, I I, I think it still forwards to my LinkedIn account. And no uh, kidding. So yeah, the joke in our shop is well, Eric's good at the internet. But yeah. Max is good at rugby. And other things. That. And I'm sure he knows about Max. He has his own software company back then, even when he was yes. a player and he was doing all that stuff. So like he's he's an engineer. He actually had he was the smarter, harder working person undergrad for sure. <laughs> and so um so the Free Jacks together, Mags had really been paying attention to how rugby uh, was becoming professionalized, not only domestically, but around the world. Mm-hmm. And he and he's such an incredible supporter of USA rugby. Um, you know, he helped to create the Golden Eagles, the supporter group for the Sevens. And uh and there had been some fits and starts with the professionalization of rugby in the United States. And Mags was aware of that. And we talk about it. And, uh, you know, one day is in 2018. It was, uh, sorry, not 2018. Was it 2018? Shoot, man. Like, I'm forgetting the years now. Might have been that. Yeah. So he was right. like, hey, this thing is coming together. And uh, and I think this one's going to work. And I, I like, you know, the, the, the rugby thing. And we had already had conversations. And I had asked him questions about why why it wouldn't work or not. And it was more like, casual conversations mm-hmm. um, and mags knew i was running my single family office ulysses diversified holdings and we have a dual strategy of healthcare and entertainment and healthcare because of my biotech background and we we help right. people make medicine but the entertainment side we define entertainment as anything you have in your life that goes beyond what you need to survive gotcha okay it's been following this orientation of like oh my gosh we have like so much abundance like mm-hmm. we like mm-hmm. just how, how do you have this mindset that you're really lucky to have? Like we as a family, we know that we're really lucky to have what we have. Mm-hmm. And so um, we just try to work hard and show up and like, you know, really appreciate what we have. And so the entertainment side uh, of the family office is really about community development and bringing awareness um, okay. to how we participate in the community. So Mags knows all of this. We're like all in the same small town we're talking about all the time. And so he's really looking at rugby through that lens yeah. as well. Right. So we, we get all the wonderful things with the sport in general, just like the, the integrity of the sport, like ha- how everyone behaves as a rugby athlete around the world. Mm-hmm. You get all that for free. And so MLR was coming together and uh, and he was like, I, I think this business model in particular, but also the things that are changing in sport more generally. So Mags was always on top of this idea of we're a sports media. In order for this to work, we have to be a sports media and entertainment company. Yes. We have rugby at its heart. And I love that rugby at its heart because like that, that really it means two things to me. It's, it's rugby at its heart of like, we're a rugby organization behind the free mm-hmm. jack, but it's also means the values of rugby, 
and the ethos of rugby and how you know what that means in like rugby communities which we all kind of know what that means mm -hmm. that's also at the heart of the organization so even if you literally strip out playing rugby matches with major league rugby i think the, the organization that is the free jack still means something about having that at its heart. So the free, so it really started with, we're going to come into MLR. Um, there was not a Boston or a new England team at the time. And mm -hmm. so uh, we had some conversations with the early founders of the league. So we were there before they'd played their first game. And, and we had an opportunity to meet all of the folks who were putting together the league, mm -hmm. uh, hear their perspectives, kind of had a vision for how, how things might evolve. And yep. And then we joined as an expansion team, but we got to see it. And like everyone, you know, was really welcoming of the original seven teams that started it. And mm -hmm. there's a whole story there that I think is important that we continue to keep in the forefront of the crazy people who did all of the work that thought this was a good idea. Like in retrospect, I'm sure it's like, just like when the NFL was coming together, it's like, right. <laughs> like you have to be a purist and like love the sport so much yes. and to do what was happening in that time frame of 17, 18, when things were coming together. And so, uh, yeah, it was awesome to see that from the beginning. And then, you know, we came along with uh, with some great partners in the boardroom and the folks that own teams there in a structure that also just, you know, struck me as really collaborative. So the mm -hmm. idea we're actually all owned part of the same organization, the way we're organized, kind of like Major League Soccer. Yes. And so that resonated with me, just like, OK, let's try to do this this way. Yeah. I love it, man. I, I know that you're very passionate about rugby and also Mags is too. It, it's his thing. You know, he was a great, uh, you know, national team player, coach, you know, Mags has done it all for sure. So totally. let's talk, and, you know, community at its forefront uh, to the organization, obviously rugby, most important, but community right there. Uh, mm -hmm. And I think that is really shown through. And, and that's why one of the reasons I think it's so successful, the Free Jacks are, is that community is so important. Let's talk mm -hmm. really quickly about some of the rejected brand ideas early on. Was it always the Free Jacks? Jacks? Yeah. No, no. We've got like, <laughs> Max and I were just talking about this earlier today. We've got so, I'm like looking around his office. There might, there used to be like a, a, a list up on the wall of all of our other ideas. No, we had some principles that we were, that were early on. So, you know, our logo is the the fist of revolution and the lantern of hope. Mm -hmm. So there's some, there's some three lines in the, in the whole, in the brand itself that were pretty consistent in some of our ideas. Some of them are like okay. totally cockamamie. I mean, <laughs> we ended up with Woody as a, as a, as a mascot. Let me just say, there's a lot of things that were more Woody than free jacks. Um, okay. Jack Squatch was the precursor to Woody. Um, but no, there, there was like, there was a lot of like brainstorming and back and forth. What was important to us is that we had a brand that was truly unique. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't like a name of another team. Right. So that's actually pretty hard in sports to try to come up with something that no one has ever used before, but still resonates as a sports organization. Absolutely. There's that some wacky tricky. names out there. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So that, that was tricky. Yeah. Um, the perennial question of who has a sports team without an S on the end, like with hmm. some things were S or no S and like we felt pretty strongly, you know, free jacks with an S. Yeah. Um, you know, no disrespect to other people's sports teams that don't have an S at the end, but it seems yes. a little un-American to me. I, I agree. I agree. So, yeah. Um, sorry. Sorry. No offense to that. Like, great brand. <laughs> um, so, yeah, there was like some of those like subtle constraints, but it was more. Right. And so when, when we did the Free Jacks, it was also, hey, if this is if you say the Free Jacks in Japan or, or in China or in France mm -hmm. or Germany or the UK, or in New Zealand, which still sounds okay because we speak English, but like, but we wanted to make sure that it was it was it was something that like wouldn't trip people up all around the world. Gotcha. And uh, you know, in it like the word Jack in in China, for instance, the Jiaka, it means hero and overcome. Oh, like the two love Chinese that. Characters of that and like translation, you're like, well, that plays. Like it wasn't for like sure. we reverse translating it from China, but we were like, 
okay, it like works in it works in China. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and then there was this whole ethos of like the free thing and putting it together with Jackson. Um, I don't know. It was just, and then there's all the brand that comes around with it, with the 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 Lantern of Hope and yes. Um, and then, you know, Mags, I remember, was the one that had how the Fist of Revolution ended up looking like it was and just mm-hmm. this revolutionary spirit, which isn't just like American revolution, but it's this idea that you take responsibility for who you are in your community. And, you you know, you, you've, you've got to be out there making the decisions and the choices that are the best thing for your team every day. Like the very rugby ethos. Right. It's like yes. when you're in play and you're in motion and like, you know, the scrum half is actually at the bottom of a ruck. Like, guess what? <laughs> Yeah, it's your time. Yeah, this is scrum half, right? So, um, this is actually why I mean, I think flanker is the greatest position in all of sport, like Mm. truly, because you get like, especially open side flanker, like, so because you get to be like right there and everything, and there's a lot of choices of how you flow, you know, among the forwards and the backs, and just like, I don't know, I I think it's the greatest position in all sports because sometimes you get to be the scrum half, and sometimes you get to fly half, even if you can't kick right. I will say as an old second row that I will respectfully disagree with your statement. I started a second row. I'm too skinny to do it now, but yeah, second, second row. Sure. Wait, what, what do you like about second row? Why is second row the best? It's the boiler room, baby. It makes the whole totally. scrum work, you know, yeah. and, and back, you know, about 20, 30 pounds lighter than I am now. I used to get thrown up in the air every game. So that was always fun. Totally. You know? Yeah. 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 <laughs> no, no question. It makes it work. I mean, we, anyone who's been a forward long enough. Yep. Those freaking wingers, right? Mm-hmm. Feeling yep. all the glory. Exactly. Yep. Getting all the tries. We're just, we're just yeah. jealous. We're just jealous. You get to hang out on the wing and score all the tries. For sure. Uh, let's, you know, I, I just to go back to the Free Jacks imagery, I love it. You know, the yep. whole Paul Revere behind me here, I just think it's fantastic. And it plays on the historical uh, significance of the region. And then also what you're talking about, it goes beyond that. Uh, and so uh, let's talk about just real quickly here, Eric. You know, it's all been fun and games, but I do have to ask you about since you're the majority <laughs> owner of the rugby ATL and their controversial rebrand, are you to blame for that? Or, or what's, what's, uh, how's that work? Um, that's, that's not a controversial question. I'm happy to answer it. Um, okay. when our family office stepped in to help with rugby ATL, yeah, it was really a reflection of our support of the league in general and our excitement around the league. Sure. It was, we, we, we have been the good stewards of that brand and what it was before and what it's become now. Mm-hmm. Amanda has done a phenomenal job there and that rebrand and the, everything that's going on is something that's very important to Atlanta. Now, let me say, my heart, I only own one rugby team, really. Yes, our family office helped to set up an organization, um, Global Rugby Ventures, that that was um, helping the league in other ways that went beyond the Free Jacks. Mm -hmm. Um, But when when I green-lighted that, it was very explicitly, it was a conversation in the boardroom, and it was a recognition that Marcus... Um, Marcus Calloway, the, the original, the founder and the owner of, of, of Rugby ATL, the Rattlers, that they, um, I mean, he was sick with pancreatic cancer and we knew he was dying. I mean, this is my day job. I work in oncology. I, I work in making human monoclonal antibodies to treat things like that. Yep. And the writing was on the wall. And I think a lot of us at MLR didn't want to think about it. Um, and so when we stepped in, it, it was it was pretty close to kickoff. And we looked around the room, uh, the boardroom, and I agreed to step in and to put up the money to ensure that the team continued. And we had continued to fund it since then. Mm-hmm. Um, we are looking for a great owner and a partner who loves Atlanta. Um, but I think that Atlanta deserves an owner 
that is at the matches that loves it. And I, I have always been with no disrespect to Amanda and the team. Amanda actually came in under this transition and she did a phenomenal job. She has done an incredible job. Um, but I'm really cautious that like every sports team should be owned by like a, a sports team owner should only own one team. Yes. And I'm not, I'm, I'm the majority owner, I suppose. Yeah. That's, I guess that's true. Um, but this is truly a partnership. I mean, Abner's an owner here as well. And Pat Chung yep. and, and, and our, and our, our two other um, very large owners as well as mags with a significant portion of it. So we think about this as a collective and the things that we do together. Mm -hmm. And uh, I have never been to an Atlanta game in Atlanta. Um, it was really important that we set up that it, to me, it was like, Hey, I'm, I don't want to offend anyone, but I also don't want to set the expectation that I am the owner of this team. I am. Hey, we're taking this on and we're agreeing to fund it because we believe in, in rugby and we are we're going to look for the right owner. And there's been a fair number of people who have come along who like, I'd love to put in some money here, be a partial owner. I'm like, you know, we need the right, right majority owner or the one that at least is, you know, in control of the team. And I think and I think we'll find that relatively soon. I mean, this is this has been a topic um, I didn't put my attention on it. I got kind of busy last year, among other things. And so. Mm -hmm. Now our attention's on it and we're talking to folks and there's a lot of momentum in the league. And so I think we'll end up with the right steward and the owner. And hopefully that person loves the brand. Or if they don't, they can talk to Amanda and the whole team and figure out what's right. working. But there's got to be an Atlanta-focused, passionate person who feels as strongly about Atlanta as, as Mags and I do about New England. As a Charlotte guy, I am not that person to, to take up that mantle at all. Uh, but I mean, Eric, I think that's probably the perfect answer that you could have provided there in terms of, you know, you want to own one team. The situation in Atlanta was tragic and you stepped in to help them out so they didn't fold, basically. Uh, and now you're looking for an owner that is very passionate about that sports market. Well, yeah, it was really about the fan. I mean, this was the discussion in the boardroom, like, well, does rugby work in Atlanta? How do we feel? I was like, no, no, like the fans are great. Everything that's happened there, the connection with life and otherwise. And it's like, no, no, we're like, we want to do right by the Atlanta rugby community collectively as a group. And so the other owners in the boardroom have been nothing but supportive uh, in the flexibility they've extended to to Atlanta in, in participating in the league, um, to being very high quality, you know, making the playoffs again. Um, you know, Atlanta is an enviable market. It's kind of the sweet spot of being very big, but also mm -hmm. accessible with a great community. So Atlanta United. So one of our advisors at Ulysses, when we were first starting up on the, on the entertainment side, when we started the Free Jacks, uh, was Katie Griggs, who was the COO at Atlanta United. Okay. Yep. And so I, I felt kind of prepared with a lot of Atlanta perspective from Katie. Um, uh, we, we'd, we'd sought her advice um, quite a bit in the early days. She was, she was an advisor to, to Ulysses. And so she was really, and so a lot of the stories that we told was was about Atlanta United and and the excellence of of her organization. So mm -hmm. so not just Atlanta United, but the broader blank organization, and how like what their values are and how they behave and and how they engage with the community and how they built up. And so so there's a lot of things we did at the Free Jack. We actually were like borrowing a playbook from Atlanta United in early days, Atlanta, and like learning from other people's yeah. playbooks. And so when this when this thing came up to to step in and and do something right uh, there in Atlanta. Um, you know, it's not cheap, but at the end of the day, it's it all comes out in the wash, I think, yeah. with the success of professional rugby in America. And, you know, when that right owner ends up in there, like, I can still be a minority owner or something. Like, as long as sure. everyone knows that, like, you know, when we're at a match together, it's it's free jacks all the way. Like, I'm sorry. Like, right. it's un-American yeah. to own two sports teams in the same league. Just, it shouldn't even be a league. It shouldn't even be allowed. Like, we don't mm -hmm. ban it at the MLR level, but we should.
<laughs> well said, sir. I w- you mentioned cheap a moment ago, and I wanted to kind of swing back to this question here. Are the Free Jacks profitable at this time? No, dear God, no. <laughs> yeah, I mean, How like, far away? You know, like professional far away sports we? in general, um, well, yeah. especially you know, in, in smaller sports, right. There's a whole, the business model has to fit together. And so mm-hmm. I think, you know, some people look at like minor league baseball and they're like, that's their orientation towards a minor league sort of team. And, and, and right. So, but minor league baseball, all the players are paid for <laughs> by the major leagues. And it just turns out that most of your costs are actually players associated. And so no, the, I mean, in the league in general, this everyone in the league knows that we're investing money in rugby in America and in rugby in North America, right? So this this is this is all about North American rugby here, and I love that this this year we're even extending down to this relationship between USA Rugby. It's like the whole Slar thing. Um, I love that we're finding a path to making this a hemispheric thing between North and South America. And so, uh, but this is, a, this is a build. It looks more like, in my business, this looks more like venture capital than, than okay. stepping in, or at least five years ago it did. Now we're at this really great place with the league where there's, there's, a, there's a fair degree of stability among, among the owners, among what growth looks like, um, fans engaging with the product. Like it's, it's just really poised at the thing that like everything is, everything is so predictable as we go to kickoff this year. Mm-hmm. Like it has not been stressful this year it was a little bit stressful last year because maybe the, the kind of the COVID overhang and whatnot there's still some questions around what we maybe what could or couldn't do mm-hmm. um oh my gosh like it, it's ama- anyone who is here in like year one when you when you look at the complexity today and what we actually worry about it's like yeah we want to engage with fans we want to throw an amazing festival the nice right. thing about rugby is if you show up to match you have a phenomenal time and i think until people experience that product directly mm-hmm. how friendly the fans are even the visiting fans like you know oh, yeah. you get you get rowdy new yorkers down into boston <laughs> at, a, at a red sox game and it's like you know it's a bloodbath you yes. know at a rugby match it's still it's still cordial and we can like it's, a bit more it's very much a rugby yeah. culture right so yeah. um so it's nice it's a family friendly atmosphere and so mags and the free jacks they try to lean on that and not make it um you know make it something that truly is family friendly um mm-hmm. You know, it's every team has a little bit of a different rhythm. So Seattle, uh, they they love playing on Sundays, and it's, it has to do with being at Starfire and uh, and 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 the the folks who are already there at the big soccer complex, and then they're coming yep. over. And so, and that's a that's a great fan experience. I mean, they're loud and they're rowdy, and um, they, they put on a great show there. And uh, and so, but but Sunday wouldn't be the best thing for the Free Jacks and Quincy. That wouldn't be our preference. So Friday night and Saturday is much more of a festival. Um, so you no know, profitability. What does it mean to be profitable for us? It's, um, you know, it's getting to a certain level of fans in the stands at our eight home matches. Um, it's thinking about the overall um, media and entertainment business. Like, you know, behind me here, this was in between days from last year, right? So yep. we've got a two day festival this year. That's, a, I mean, the lineup there is spectacular. And this is a little bit like you've got to find a way to make all the infrastructure like paid for so that you have the privilege of playing rugby almost. Gotcha. A bit. Um, but, if you know, if if if, if you talk to um, to the Fenway Sports Group, like, you know, you look at what they do over with the Red Sox or any other professional sports team mm-hmm. um, ever increasingly. You know, it's about maybe you've got a facility and but maybe you certainly have an organization that you're going to use outside of your outside of like your core um, sports season. Yeah. 
And if you want to have great people and give them a great job and they can make a career of it, instead of being a bit of a journeyman, you got to create an organization that works 365 days of the year. And I think we're not doing right by our employees at, at the Free Jacks, um, at the, the company, the, the Thunderco, which is the overarching company that Mags runs. And so you got to think about that. Like, I mean, he feels a very strong obligation to creating the right work environment where it truly is a job for the whole year. It's not just mm-hmm. show up for something and leave. And so, right. um, so you got to do other things. And, and there's a lot of things that MLR can do to, ex, you know, outside of our primary season of what do we do in the fall? And then how do we think about other times of the year that there'll be some exciting things that are coming online in the coming years. Yeah. I would love to see a preseason sevens tournament uh, to kick off MLR. I think that would be awesome. Pre-season, in a warm weather. Season sevens. Like, yeah, yeah both, both, for man. Sure. And mm-hmm. maybe a, um, a Super Rugby's America versus MLR champion, uh, you know, that I think that would be cool, too. But uh, I'm thinking Free Jacks versus All Blacks. Oh, boy. Now we're I mean, talking. it just has a nice ring to it. It sure does. Uh, I would take maybe the under on that right now, but who knows? Maybe in like a yeah. decade we could actually hold our own or something. I don't know. Speaking of the future, I wanted to ask you about this. Um, obviously, the World Cup coming very soon in 2020, yeah. or excuse me, 2031. What is the Free Jacks going to look like and also just MLR uh, when the World Cup kicks off on home soil? It's going to be so exciting. I mean, <laughs> I mean, th- this is really this is the sense of urgency that I feel of, of aligning the whole rugby community in the United States with Canada, right? So we're going to host yep. together. Like yes. what's going on in Mexico here with our with like with all these things together, and then how do we align North American rugby with world rugby together? So we're kind of on the clock for that, right? We got eight years. Yes, and this I I think but for having the World Cup here with a bit of a deadline, we we as a league, I'll, I'll speak for myself personally um, in the boardroom, but I think other folks feel similarly. Like it really kind of put a fire under us to say, hey, from a commercial perspective, from a youth development perspective, like all these things that we eventually know we want to do. What if, like, does this mean we should do something a little bit bigger, a little bit sooner with MLR? Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, there's discussions happening with how do we make things bigger sooner? Because you don't want to try to do that in 2030 or 2029. We have an incredible opportunity to build, I think, directly, we can be the sixth largest sport in North America. So fine. Like, could mm-hmm. we knock on the door of number five? I don't know. But you don't have to be number five to be really, really, really good. And to be number five or number six uh, largest particip- participation sport in, um, in the United States mm-hmm. means that you're an enormous globally. And what I remind folks of is that every dollar that goes into MLR goes into rugby actually flows into the rugby pyramid. Mm-hmm. So, so, that, so that goes to Rugby Canada, it goes to USAR, and it goes to World Rugby. And so yeah. it just feels like we're so aligned with the things that are going on with World Rugby and their ambitions and how we bring rugby to the whole world beyond just the, the nations that currently are really passionate about it. And in the boardroom at MLR and among the owners and just like staff and players, everyone is excited to just see more fans engage with the sport. Yes. Um, and especially in the youth and the community and the collegiate level um, and what that means to, to like build up for, we're going to fill every venue in 2031, right? We want Right. This will be the coming out party. Like kind of think about it, it's like, oh my gosh, it's so far away. Not in the long arc of history and like the horizon. Like this is our 200th year anniversary of rugby, right? Oh, there's a sport like invented 200 years ago. Yep. Not many sports on the face of the planet where you can reach back to that history. And yet you have this opportunity to create a league that's totally modern and new and fresh. Mm-hmm. Like it's what's it's so exciting. It's such a blank slate with where we go from the current team owners 
to like 2031 where you know what's the right number is it is it 20 teams is it is it is it 30 or 32 we'll see where we're at in 31 mm-hmm. it's certainly more than 13 you know we've, right. we've got our eyes on, I would hope so. on certain cities yeah, yeah. and so yeah. It's it's about having the right organizations in each of those cities with the commitment to their local community, and and having the resources and the wherewithal to say, yeah, no, this is this we've got a plan of how we go from three to five to ten thousand fans and stands for every mm-hmm. match. We've got a plan for how we engage with our communities, and therefore you're putting on different events. We've got a plan. There's some things that aren't MLR focused, but every single team works on them. So, the youth, the community uh, engagement the women's teams that we help to support, you know, there's no official announcements about how that's rolling out, but we get personally here at the free Jacks, we get very excited about the, the, the women's uh, side of the sport. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's different, nobody's making money. It's so funny. You asked the question, nobody's making money. Like there's nowhere close to even being profitable in this. Like we are, we are investing in the growth of a league and a sport and our players. And, uh, but, but bringing the women's side of the house and that, that was one of the compelling reasons why we came in as a family in, okay. in at the time was I, I have three daughters and a son. So for me, it's girl, boy, girl, girl. And uh, Emily, my wife and I, when we were deciding whether this would be a priority for us uh, and working with Mags, he also mm-hmm. has a daughter. Um, I, one of the most compelling parts of the story is you get all the ethics of rugby, you get all the integrity of rugby, you get all these things for rugby, but you also get a sport where men and women play the exact same game. That's right. Yep. I always tell people All that. The same size, the pitch is the same size, the rules are the same size. You tell us to people like, don't watch rugby. And they're like, right. well, they, but the contact's different. It's like, no, 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 no. Like yep. everything's the same. Yep. And they're like, there's something so incredibly empowering about that. I think. I agree. Um, it's very, very compelling. And so, you know, if we were going to own a sports team, if we we're going to participate in the community development, that is about sports for us, it felt really right that it would be something where we could look our sons and daughters in the eyes and be like, you guys, if you go, if you want to play, you play the same sport. It's like, do we play the smaller ball? Do we play the smaller court? Like, is it, is it, I'm like, no, no, no. It's like, Oh, are we like, is it, is it touch and we can't tackle? It's like, no, no. Like you better learn how to take somebody down. And yeah. uh, this, this is how you do it. Um, you know, we play the same positions. So I think it's, it's amazing that like you can grow up playing rugby and as a as a father and then you can teach your daughter to play the sport and it's going to be she's going to be playing the same position and it's going to be the same rules mm-hmm. and the same intuition and vice versa right yeah. a woman thinks she can be playing collegiately um you know maybe for the top of the sport you're like you, you know you're playing for the eagles or something but you can pass that down hopefully we have a professional league here sooner rather than later around women as well for sure play. and, and the, hopefully your son can grow up and like you can be like hey here's how you play it yeah. right when Absolutely. I played it, here's the, here's the strategy. So anyway, I, I I think that's amazing. And so 23 to 31, there's like MLR sort of getting to that place. Mm-hmm. But also, I'd like to see, uh, I'd like, like to see the women's side of the game um, become professional. Uh, that would be and- fantastic. And I think the free uh, the New England team has to be called the Free Jills, right? I mean, it's just it just makes so much sense. Have you heard other people say that? No, I came up with that. Well, I don't I don't know if I came up with it, but I think I might have been the first one to say that. You know? If you go to freejills.com, I know I own the URL. What? So great minds think alike. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm totally like, I mean, yeah, we, the free Jills we've had for a long time. You know, we, I, I think it's a great idea. That's you awesome. haven't outed us with the actual brand because I think it's going to depend on what, if we have an affiliated team, what they want to be called. I think they get a say. Of course. In that, so. Of course they do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, but that's interesting. Uh, yeah, great minds think alike. I, yeah. Free Jills would be great, right? Perfect. It's the perfect. Please send this to Matt and anyone else who's listening. Sorry, he's not. In the <laughs> There's a reason why we own the URL. Yeah. 
That's great. Uh, let's talk about, you know, I've got a couple more questions for you and then we'll get you out of here. I don't want to keep too much of your time going here. Uh, let's talk about minimum expectations. You know, the contributors of this show laid out our minimum expectations for the Free Jacks a few episodes back. And then we opened up for fan voting. Very interesting. More than 50 percent said, you know, the minimum expectation is for the Free Jacks to make the playoffs. What is your minimum expectation for this team this year? Super easy for me. Playoffs would be nice. But the minimum expectation is not an easy lift, and that's that every day our players and our and our and our staff and the whole organization operates with a level of integrity that we're proud of, mm-hmm. and that you, you know that it, it it can be a low bar if all the pieces are in the right place. But there's a lot of things that go into that. Um, it, it's how we handle ourselves on the pitch. It's, it's before and it's after. And yeah, we can we can joke on uh, on social media and everything else. But at the end of the day, this is about the respect for our community and it's about the respect for other folks who play the sport. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I don't want to be affiliated with or part of an organization that isn't doing the right things by our community. And so yes. as long as our folks do that, then we're going to be good. Now, the thing that I ask the players and everything is just to show up and work harder than anybody else. Like in the world, you are either the one doing the work or you are exploiting someone doing the work. Mm-hmm. And that's just how it works. And I, I recognize I get criticized for saying that as like a little bit too black and white, but you know, you got to wake up early and you got to work hard and not just because you want it, but because you, there's a lot of um, opportunity that we have for the stuff that we've been given and that like we participate in. And so I think you got to take it really, really seriously at at Alloy at my day job. um, I'm the CEO of Alloy Therapeutics. Um, You might recognize the logo on the front of the free jets. I've seen it a time or two, Uh, but at Alloy, I ask everyone at Alloy to make Alloy their second priority in life. And like very explicitly, your second priority, because everyone has to have a first priority that's not our company, Mm -hmm. because we take what we do so seriously. Like we we try to help other people make medicine every single day. And you got to bring your best self to that. And I, you know, I feel that same way about the Free Jacks organization. Right. So like you got to show up and you got to try and you got to work hard. And like, you know, there's all the things we talk about with the Free Jacks, like the Free Jacks turn out the lights. Right. It's like when when all else is said and done, like, you Mm -hmm. know, the ethos of the Free Jacks is you're going to be there still trying to help somebody out um, as the as the last person out. And and that's you know, so that's what I asked for. And so, man, if the players aren't putting it in their all, if the coaching coaches aren't putting it in their all, um, they, they know that I try to put in everything I have. Like we run a lot of other organizations and stuff and something has to support <laughs> Major League Rugby and the Free right. Jacks. Um, so anyone that knows us and our organization uh, with our family office and, and the businesses that we participate in, I don't I don't think there's any doubt that we try to work harder than anybody else. I get up between three and four o'clock every morning um, and start working. Um, and then uh, and I love my life. Right. Because then at 630, I'm up with my kids and I'm making them breakfast and taking them to school and I'm back at the office by eight. So. Uh, that to me is my priority and, and, and what we feel like. And I just, you know, I don't ask anyone else to keep my schedule, but that's the, that's the trade-off I make to make uh, right. my, this is my second priority. Um, that means I got to get up a little bit earlier and I got to get in my work and, and make sure I get my stuff done so that I can have breakfast and dinner with my family. So. It's fantastic. I, I think that most people that follow this show understand that we truly believe that the Free Jacks organization is the best. And I think, you know, that comes from the top down as well. And, uh, mm-hmm. we, you know, with the 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 mindset that you have about what you, this organization should do and strive for and be about, I think that's awesome very much. So uh, two more questions, then I'll get you out of here. 
Uh, we did release a graphic a couple days back showing all the nationalities of the Free Jacks. And one thing that was noticeable was a lack of British and Irish representation. With all of the expats and the heritage of those countries in this area, is it a concern that there are not more of those players on this team anymore? No, we're explicitly against it. No, so <laughs> we're called the Free Jacks because we're still fighting this revolutionary war against the Brits. So... I'm I'm pretty sure you're not a lot. No, it's a uh, totally coincidental. Um, we 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 welcome everyone. Um, I don't know what's going on there. Maybe someone's doing a better job of picking folks off. We'll we'll ask Scott what the story is. Um, maybe Scotty's super biased here. There maybe, you go. Been, you know, maybe HR let let him slip by that he's he's got this latent <laughs> bias that we're not checking somewhere. What's your favorite Free Jack memory of all time? Oh my gosh, I have so many. Um, Does it have to do with meeting me at the Las Vegas uh, game? <laughs> that was that first, like the first try yep. at that one, like ricocheting off of. Unbelievable. Of that was crazy. That's like. One in a million. Yeah. One in a million, just like straight out. And the pitch was so terrible. It's it all like turf and stuff. My favorite. Oh my gosh. It, it's got to be just like the experience there in, in Quincy or. Mm -hmm. I, the first. Okay. So I don't even know if this is legal. Uh, but I, well, I have dirt from like Lexington and Concord that like, if you see me on the pitch before the game, you might see me throwing it in the middle of the pitch. Interesting. And so, yeah, it's just like a little ceremony that I, I love that match. And, um, it's, uh, you know, I get, I get teary at the star spangled banner. And just like, you think about everything that yeah we show up for. Right. So. Um, yeah, my favorite free Jack ritual is, is definitely that. And that's something that's kind of the gift that keeps on giving. It's just, it's a reminder of like who we are in New England and where it comes from. And, um, yeah. it is not explicit that we're against having <laughs> uh, players, but I'm going to look into that. I think HR might have a mag should, should ask HR. We, I'm, I don't even think he has HR. I'm sure. I'm sure we're not, not HR. Uh, I'm going to open up the floor. Eric, you've been fantastic. You've been very generous with your time as well. I'm going, to, I'm going to open up the floor here. Any messages to the Rangers out there, the Free Jacks fans, prior to kickoff? Oh, my gosh. Let me just say, yes, to the Rangers fans, to the Free Jacks fans, to our to our founding members, to the season ticket holders, mm -hmm. we would in no, we would be anywhere close to where we are without you. I mean, that's like an easy thing for people to say, but like the deep gratitude that we have for the engagement that folks have with this thing that we love so much and it's made an enormous difference in how um, other investors, even in other teams and around the league and stuff, they, they see your passion and momentum and just your willingness to engage. Um, so I get asked the question a lot, like, how can I help? And I was like, oh my gosh, just like bring one friend to a match. Yeah. Like if everyone just did like brought one friend to a match and by the way, if you can't pay for a ticket, just like call me, we'll give you free tickets or something. Right? Like, <laughs> I'm, I don't think I'm supposed to say that. Mags has like KPIs <laughs> and like people try to got like folks like, oh my gosh, just gave someone a heart attack. Yeah, Max like, is trying to cut the feed right now. Oh my gosh, like <laughs> I, I probably shouldn't have said that. But it's um, it's about bringing folks together and just experiencing what it is to just be around the Free Jacks. And some people come and they have a beer and they hang out and hopefully they have a good experience. And you know, Quincy in particular, the city's been phenomenal. Um, you know, the mayor's fantastic, but it's also like police, fire, where at the schools, like um, everyone in City Hall. It's like they like having us there. And this was an important thing when we were looking for a home stadium. We talked to a lot of different towns and stuff. And and, and it was really wonderful uh, that when we talked to Quincy that 
they like they want us there. And so it feels really nice to be able to be engaged with the community. Um, so it's great. They've been wonderful. So come out to a match. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, again, it is our behavior in New England and our fans behavior. Yep. Rowdy or not rowdy. It doesn't matter. Be as rowdy as you want. Um, I got in a little trouble at the playoffs for anyone who was there. Like I was a little bit rowdy on the sideline. So I'm not going to apologize for it. I was just, I no, I got, I got like, there was comments in the boardroom about whether I'm allowed to blow a Vuvuzela in someone's ear. <laughs> I was like, I don't think it helped. Um, so sorry, New York. Um, we get excited about these things. So, but it's funny, you might not know this, but you know, in the league office, among the other owners, but also sponsors of other teams and like potential investors and world rugby and USA rugby and rugby Canada, they actually notice and they observe how wonderful the fan base is in New England. And like New England has a reputation of being good for sport, but like, yes, but the free Jacks have a great reputation among rugby folks. And this is internationally as well. So like come out, bring your a game, have a festival, have a fun time, like feedback, comments, anything we can do to make that experience better. There's like, we got to serve food faster. We've got to get you like, there's all these things that every week we're trying to do better than the week before. First home match is of course the 11th of March this year. Um, yes. And yes. playing NOLA this weekend. I love that we got the Mardi Gras slot. Like that feels good. Um, down in Zola yeah. during Mardi Gras, keep the boys focused. Um, uh, but then coming back for us for our home opener on the 11th of March, you know, come out and have a great time. The real improvement this year, if, if folks aren't paying attention, is there's music at the events. The whole festival atmosphere is expanding. So Mags and the whole group has done a phenomenal job of really mm -hmm. upping the game. Of like, look, you're not just coming to a match. There's like all these other things that are happening. And then in between days this year. Um, that's a two day festival event after the season closes. And it's like, the lineups are amazing. The whole thing is like looking pretty good. So anyway, just thank you. It's like, I, I just feel a deep and abiding gratitude for what our fans and the folks in New England have trusted us with. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it makes me want to work harder every day. So love that answer. All right, Eric, this has been a fantastic little interview that we've done here. I really appreciate your time very much. We say one word to exit the video and it's huzzah. And that's going to happen in three, two, one. Huzzah. huzzah. Huzzah, Rangers. This is Phil Harris here at the Jacks Ranger, J Ugh. the Jacks Ranger show. We're going to get it right at some point. Um, sorry for the little bit of a delay here. We're about four minutes late. I literally just got off the phone with the general manager of the Free Jacks. We're going to be doing something real special here soon. Uh, Diamond Dave, how the hell are you? I'm doing fantastic, Phil. I'm on February break. There you uh, go. Major League Rugby has kicked off. Got a boy, we're, yeah. We're coming up real soon on the home opener, even. Mm -hmm. And I am excited about rugby in New England. How are you doing? Not too bad. It's President's Day. I had the day off, so can't complain too much. I did uh, do a couple notes here that I did not type up. So it's going to be a real shit show, as we were talking about prior to going live. Um, I didn't know what video was uh, actually in the intro. So that's how ill prepared we are at this point. Well, we got three people viewing. I appreciate y'all joining in here hopefully we'll have a couple more people jump on the live here and if you're not able to watch the lives of course you're going to be hearing this in the podcast um i want to go quickly over well it's not gonna be quick uh, i've got like six pages here um the nola review is why we're here at this particular segment um it was a chilly night in new orleans it was 
wind was definitely a factor. It was very breezy there. We saw people bundled up in the stands. Um, we had a couple of uh, Rangers down there, including Buzzy and Kenny Thompson and his lovely wife, Barbara, were there. There was another gentleman in the audience that was wearing a tricorn cap, and I didn't recognize him at all. But that's that's pretty cool that they were there and loud and proud, as, as we, uh, we know that the Rangers are out there, the 1st Regiment people. Um, Jack's got on the board early with a line out. Um, again, uh, the, 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 the handwriting here could be much better, <laughs> but it was basically a line out to mall that included yes. the backs. Uh, it seems like one or two of the backs did jump in there at the end, or maybe it was just one of the, the forwards that were not included yeah. in the line out. Perhaps did you no, get a better it, eye on that? It was the backs. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. It was, uh, I think it was Wayne Vanderbank and, um, I think it was Taniella's side. So I think okay. it was Taniella and, Wayne came in and hit it. Once the mall moves through what's called the line of touch, so the, mm -hmm. basically the tunnel where the ball has to go down, once the back foot of the mall moves through it um, and the line out has ended and backs can then come in, right? Mm -hmm. Up right. until then, there's special offside lines. You have to um, stay out, basically. Mm -hmm. People can't join the line out late um, or it would be a penalty. So the line out crossed that point or the mall crossed that point. The backs came running in just to give a little bit of extra oomph in the back of that yeah. mall. I really love that. You know, Me too. It's, it's helpful mechanically. It, I mean, it's guys who are good at running and pushing. They got strong legs and they're adding to the push. And I, I really like it as well as, as sort of, a, a, you know, the backs backing the forwards and their ability yes. to finish, you know, coming in and uh, uh, supporting them. It's it's really cool to see. And it was fun. And it's, it's got to be fun as a back, too, because it's not something that they normally get to do. So I'm sure they're all smiles and they're like, whoa, yeah. what's, this, what's this? Yeah, yeah. I can't imagine too many, uh, uh, you know, wings and centers get called over for mauling practice. <laughs> right. That's just not usually sure. a part of that repertoire. Absolutely. The try was accredited to Mills. Uh, conversion by Jason was good. So seven to zero very early on, three minutes in. You'd love to see that quick start from the Free Jacks. Another good throw in by Mills about five meters out led to a slicing try by our new fly half who was oddly confused by for Wayne <laughs> Vanderbeek by the commentating street yep. crew. They had a bit of a, a tough night in terms of the uh, the criticism that they were receiving online. Uh, Jason Potras for a automatic seven there. Jack's 14, Nola 0, 15 minutes in. You know, you, you have to feel good about your chances if you're up by 14 uh, with, you know, 15 minutes gone at that point. Uh, Nola did make a game of it uh, to a certain extent here in a moment. I'm going to describe that. But um, early on, I, I felt good about it. You know, it, we just looked really polished, I guess you could say. That um, that rust that they had at the beginning of the game with um, with uh, Houston was yeah. non-existent. Uh, and that's exactly what you want to see in a game that actually count wins and losses, right? Absolutely. Um, it was it was excellent to see uh, Patros's run was really good to set up not to set up to score that try. Mm -hmm. um, the they were, <clears throat> I guess the numbers and maybe unfamiliarity or why the announcers were having such a tough time, but they blamed it on the hair. And if it was if <laughs> if it was like a deadpan joke, then credit to them because that was right. that was award winning deadpan. They really seemed yes. sincere in saying sorry. Their hair looks similar. Wayne Vanderbank, of course, has like lots of blonde hair. Yes. Yeah. And Jason Patros is bald. Completely yeah, non existent. Exactly. Not 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 any hair up there at all. Uh it was it was hilarious to hear them say, sorry, they look so similar, the hair. Um yeah, excellent uh, try. And you really I felt really good going up 14 mm -hmm. nil, like you said, just 13 yeah. minutes into the first match of the season. Mm -hmm. Um I mean talk about 
exactly how you want to start a rugby season. Absolutely. Well put there. So Jordan Trainer, one of the uh, the additions, the new additions to NOLA, uh, made things a little interesting for NOLA by backing himself instead of kicking, which he, uh, the commentators were like, oh, we're expecting him to kick here or whatever they said. But he was just like, nah, to hell with that. I'm just going to run with the ball. And he, he did break through the line there. Um, calls the big man, uh, which was um, a prop by the name of Jared Adams, rumble over yes. for the try. I think he, he, he did a dummy as well. It kind of faked out one of our backs. And then um, – yeah. John Poland tried to tackle him, and that wasn't going to work. And then Jason yeah. Potras, I think, tried to get an arm around him, and that he's just a, too big of a yeah. boy, and he just rumbled right over there. Um, it was, I think that, yeah, it, it was it was a, quite a run, you know. Yes. I mean, that's that's up there for week one tries of the week for sure. For sure, when yeah. you see the big boy wearing the number three, mm-hmm. break the line, beat a couple players, throw a dummy, and then mm-hmm. splash it down. He he actually had a fantastic game. Um, Jared Adams uh, really, really put in work uh, with with some ex- the exception of some scrums that did not go his way. I that was we'll, going to we'll say talk, that. We'll yeah, talk about it a little bit later. But sure, off the sure. ball, which yeah. to the announcer's credit, they really talked him up as an off the ball prop. Sure. Know, or sorry, out of the scrum, you know, in the loose play and ball in hand rather. Mm-hmm. Um, he really did. He had a, he had a good 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 rugby match with ball in hand, and that included that phenomenal try there. There you go. Uh, conversion was good. NOLA 7, New England 14. NOLA scored once again to make things even more interesting. And this is as close as they were going to get, folks, if you didn't know this already. Uh, 24 <laughs> minutes in with a line-out to Mall try in the corner. Conversion was no good. I didn't get the, the score's name on that one, but that was NOLA 12. Jack's 14. So getting a little bit more interesting here. I kind of raised my eyebrow like, okay, well, they're trying to make a game of it here. That's, that's very nice of them to actually make things a little bit more entertaining. Uh, Mills delivered another solid throw. Now there was some, there was at least one comment that uh, after Mills was announced as a starter that said that, you know, he'd, he'd had some howlers uh, in the previous uh, season with throwing in, but you know, there was a lot of successful throw-in attempts uh, this game in the lineout, and I think he had a lot to do with that for sure. I mean, he's the one throwing the ball. So he delivered another solid throw that led to another backs try with John Poling scoring under the post for an automatic seven after a Spencer Jones offload. Uh, Spencer's got that mullet flowing, and it looks fantastic mm-hmm. um, in the back line there. Uh, Jack's 21, Nola 12, 32 minutes gone at that point. There was a strange moment right before halftime, and when this occurred, I was like, okay, this is in the cards for the Free Jacks to win this game. What took place was there was a Rodney Iona um, goal line dropout uh, kick that was blocked by, I believe, Mitch Jacobson, who had his ears taped up there. That's, the, that's how I recognize him, I believe. Um, you know, a few uh, phases later, Jason finds Iron Man Mitch Wilson, who dives and slides into the try zone. Conversion was good, and all of a sudden, it's 12 to 28. Jack's heading into the half. I felt really good after that block kick, um, and I just thought it was our night. Uh, what were your first half thoughts there, David? Um, yeah, I agree. Talk about settling down you know we had the jp try at 33 minutes 32 minutes and then the mitch wilson try at 41 um and uh, i mean score score was good team looked good mm-hmm. uh really satisfied with the first half um lineouts were solid scrum started out shaky but then really turned around and became a, a penalty generator for the free jacks um, 
it was it was a really fun first half. I was in a, a very very good mood. Mm-hmm. Same here, man. Like I, I I just wanted to actually give a shout out to uh, Dan from Merrimack, who's one of the backup contributors for the show. Good to see him watching here. We've been thinking about you, pal, for sure. Um, so yeah, I mean, I just felt like with that block kick, I just felt like it was in the stars for the Free Jacks to to ultimately win this game. And, and yeah. if you're going into halftime and you're feeling like this is going to be a big uh, win for the Free Jacks, it, it's interesting because ultimately what happened after the you know the game got kicked off again is mm-hmm. Nola was kind of toothless. And it was a little frustrating at points. I didn't write this down in my notes, but I will say it here. It was frustrating to see the Free Jacks not be able to put Nola away when they definitely had multiple opportunities to do that. It felt like more like back and forth, and it really shouldn't have been. Uh, but, you know, the Jacks obviously getting the win here. But uh, after halftime, the try score for the gold, Jared Adams, was subbed off because our guy, the Eagle, was absolutely eating his lunch in the scrum. Um, you know, what was the – what were you seeing there, David? What was the Eagle doing to get – over on yeah, you know, it was interesting. I went back, I rewatched this game, and I tried to pay particular attention to the scrums. Mm-hmm. Um, they're really hard to analyze uh, anyways. I mean, some yeah. people are really good at it, don't get me wrong. Uh, sure. But even playing up there for a long time, I, it's tough. I, I did my best, but I guess what I'm really trying to say is I'm not going to have any super strong takes or oh. opinions here. But what it, looked like, what it looked like to me is in the first couple of – scrums um it really looked like adams uh was was burrowing in a little bit so kind of almost like taking away the driving surface from kyle sakara which then in the first scrum when uh nola generated a penalty it really looked like kyle didn't have anything to push against you know like like adams had successfully kind of isolated him and was burrowing in on mills um angling in um he ends up, Kyle ends up kind of popping up because there's like nothing really to, to scrum against. Um, and it was a penalty to Nola. On the next scrum, uh, it was a New England put and we kept, we kept the ball. So mm-hmm. it was um, a little bit shaky. Kyle's knee went down like it did in the first scrum as the announcers pointed out. Uh, but it was a clean ball to the back. Mm-hmm. And then the next three scrums... Um, well, not the next three, but three of the next four or five that half were penalties to New England. Mm-hmm. And what what happened was in the first penalty, it actually looks like Kyle really almost loses it again, and he ends up sort of slipping underneath Adams. You can okay. see it pretty clearly in the camera. the The shot is from that side of the scrum. So one of the reasons that I'm, you know, not certain is you really can't see the Cole Keith side at all like you can't see what's going on on the other side and you need to be able to see the whole scrum to really tell what's going on um but it looked like kyle got underneath adams and then just like with what must have just been like lower back muscle purely which is like not safe you don't want to put that much strain (laughs) on your lower back but like he must have just used his back to basically stand up under Adams which is like Herculean and kind of pop it up and the the scrum ends up falling apart and uh, but it's a penalty to New England and then um, the next scrum um, the Free Jacks hold up an old gold player so they get you know it becomes a mall becomes Mm -hmm. a a scrum to New England and um, 
that one it looked like maybe Cole Keith earned it because the the that was the other side of the scrum that popped up. Yeah. Um, but another penalty there, and Kyle held his own, and suddenly like what looked like it was gonna be maybe a long day at the office for the front mm -hmm. row, we're generating penalties, and then we yeah. end up generating another one. So three penalties generated off the scrum in the first half, and I mean that means that if either team drops the ball. There was like a, a seventy-five percent chance that it just becomes a penalty to it to New England, which is which is incredible. You love those odds, yeah, yeah right. It, you love um, that. That's a that's very powerful when you take the scrum away as an attacking platform, which we did. Even when Nola kept the ball, they were under a lot of pressure. They were retreating. There was a scrum in their twenty-two where it was really tough for them to to um, make their escape. You know, to get their egg, their exit as as coaches call it often. Mm -hmm. um, so it's tough for them to make their exit from their twenty two because their scrum is rolling backwards and they're just losing ground as they're trying to get the ball out and kick it. Um, it was it was really fun. If if you're, you know, not sold on the scrum, rewatch that first half. Pay pay particular attention to those those scrums and watch how it kind of seesaws back and forth. How much work those players are doing. Um, it was it was really cool to see and I, uh, I enjoyed it a lot. What's interesting to note is, you know, talking to uh, Rob the Hammer Hammersmith in the offseason and most recently in the uh, previous episode, he talked about how NOLA has brought in these new props that are now essentially, at least for this game, ahead of uh, Harmon and also Dino Waldron yep. in the depth chart. And these guys are, I believe, both of them are internationals. Um, so it's interesting that NOLA has kind of, I don't want to say sold their soul, yeah. but they've changed their philosophy a little bit about, you know, bringing up these American uh, talent, especially in the tight five area, or at least in the forwards area. Uh, instead of having them be USA Eagles, they're going out and finding internationals. But yet here are the free jacks, you know, eating their lunch in the scrum time. So that, that's interesting to see. Uh, you know, That's something that we will have to keep track of going forward to see how well NOLA does. They want to play that forward dominant type of game. So, yeah, interesting. I will say that Nola was toothless in the second half to a certain extent. The only points uh, that came from the 40th minute until uh, the 70th minute ish was, I believe, Jason was able to convert a penalty kick uh, or kick through a penalty kick. So it made it 31 to 12. Next opportunity came at 75 minutes in where a kick and chase created a sloppy ruck situation where the ball kind of spilled out. Um, and I believe it was uh, John Poland, who was very opportunistic, that ran it down, the little magician, uh, taking it down for his second try of the night. Final score here, 36-12. to 12. And as I was saying earlier, it was a little frustrating at certain points to watch in the second half where the Free Jacks seems like they had opportunities to kind of put Nola away prior to that point, and it just didn't materialize, unfortunately. So um, other than that, there's not too much to be overly upset as a Free Jacks fan about. Um, a lot of things looked good in the first game. Nola, you know, I don't know if it was just a, a matter of them, I don't know, maybe bad game plan or just too much rust. I don't know what it was. They didn't look very um, – they didn't look like the team that a lot of us had hyped up in the offseason as potential playoff hopefuls. And I will say this about week one and what kind of conclusions we can draw. There's not a lot that we can just say, yes, this team's definitely going to make the playoffs or this team sucks or whatever, because it's just week one, guys. It's early, early days. But I was disappointed in Nola's performance. What was your overall thoughts of the entire game? Um, I definitely expected them to be a little bit more potent uh, on attack. Uh, mm -hmm. They didn't score for you know what like 65 minutes something like that um which is kind of crazy to it them. Is. they were just stuck at 12 points they couldn't yep. they couldn't get anything else um 
yeah, it was in, it was it was uh, it was interesting how. I mean, I, I think give the Free Jacks a lot of credit for shutting down a lot of what New Orleans tried to do. Yeah. Our defense looked good. Um, we made them tackle a lot. It's really mm-hmm. interesting to look at the statistics, which you can do now. That's cool. Nice. If you go to the Major League Rugby site and go over to the schedule and then go to results, there's a little down arrow you can click, and they have um, lineups for every team. Mm-hmm. They have the like date and time location for the match. Um, and then they have stats, um, general team stats, things like mm-hmm. – uh, penalty count. So, for example, Noel's 15 penalties really hurt Oof, them. They're rough. certainly going to be looking at um, discipline. And the Free Jacks had 10, which is, you know, not, not fantastic, yeah. but way better than 15. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> that really hurt Nola, I think. It, it Partially, it was those scrum penalties we talked about. Really denied them um, a chances to attack in the first right. half. Right? It, it meant that... Um, in terms of territory, which is not on our stats, mm-hmm. um, so I can't we can't analyze it quantitatively. But in terms of territory, they were uh, really not able to do much. Mm-hmm. The Free Jacks w- were able to keep them pretty pretty much where they wanted them. Does it have um, possession percentage on there? It doesn't have possession percentage or um, okay. it doesn't have possession percentage or territory, which would okay. be two two good things to add. Maybe yes. just not. I would assume that they're just not part of the you know coding um, mm-hmm. standard coding for each match in terms of just like the scoring think like baseball baseball scorekeeping right yeah um, same sort of thing um, but they do have uh, good information on top individual statistics which is really interesting okay so when we look at something like tackle count um, we can see that Nola had to make 206 tackles to the 149 that the free Jacks made. Mm-hmm. Um, Freejects had 123 ball carries compared to just 80 ball carries from Nola. Wow. So way, yep. f- way fewer phase pl- phases out of Nola. Mm-hmm. Um, and we see that as well if we look at the individual statistics in terms of kicking meters. John Poland had a phenomenal game kicking, mostly sure box did. kicks though, not yep. too long you're putting them in a place where they you know they're real high and, and your your chasers can contest them meanwhile iona had 350 kicking meters they were doing a lot of kicking from 12 wow. or from 10 and also he did a he did a fair amount of the counter kicking you know when you mm-hmm. we were in those kick battles yep. um, but yeah 350 kicking meters from him so they didn't have a lot of phases they kicked the ball away a fair amount mm-hmm. new england you know coaches talked about in interviews uh, in the off season, how we were going to see more phases, we were going to see a little bit more attacking gameplay sure. developed in our second year under this, these coaches and this system, uh, and with the you know the same player core, and I think we saw that it was a really good example. The defense is still there, but mm-hmm. now we can you know we can pin a team back, and not only are we going to run a couple phases and kick the ball and then pressure, 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 we can do that when we need to. And we can use that to get the team where we want them. But then we can run some phases. We can attack. You know, we're going to do a little bit more and and stress them a little bit. We know defense is more tiring than attack for teams. So that's good. It wears their players out faster. Um, and they had some guys with some high stats. You know, Cam Dolan made 17 tackles. Um, Tom Florence made 15. Uh, they, they really were, were having to put in shifts. 
Um, meanwhile, we had just exactly what you want to see. We had Vian Conradi and Mitch Jacobson both <laughs> with 14 tackles. That's what the back mm -hmm. row is there to do. Yep. They are making the sticks, making the tackles. Cole Keith came in third with nine. Big shift nice. for the tight head prop. He had a great game. On debut um, for the Free Jacks, yep. Yeah, Wayne Vanderbank, nine as well. Uh, he was doing that work in the midfield, wearing the 13 jersey. You know, they're ranging and, and shutting down uh, back plays a lot. Mm -hmm. So he was absolutely doing his job. Um, and then Captain Josh Larson rounds it out with eight. Nice. So, yeah, it's it's great to have these statistics. Shout out to Major League Rugby. And mm -hmm. I believe Aaron Castro is the person specifically who um, is is in charge of this. Uh, really cool to be able to look deeper into the numbers a little bit and to have really good, reliable information. So look forward to a little bit more statistical analysis on the show as we move. Yeah, forward. that helps us for sure, man. We can definitely re uh, use that as a resource going forward. Um, it just feels it felt like it definitely we had more possession. And I think with what you were saying there in terms of uh, ball carries, that kind of kind of proves that point as well with them kicking away as yeah. well. And most of that was because they were probably backed up right as well, mm -hmm. kicking the ball away strategically there um, uh, in terms of just final thoughts here. Like I said, I was disappointed with their performance because a lot of us had hyped them up quite a bit. Um, New England was in control the entire game. They not There was no point in the game that Nola actually led this game. So other than that one defensive lapse with their big man just like, you know, yeah. throwing a dummy and just running people over, there was no other. I mean, they got they got a mall try, but like, I mean, it's kind of difficult to defend a mall when it's five mm -hmm. meters out. You know what I mean? Like, so yeah. um, other than that, like, it was just one defensive lap, and then it was all free jacks. So very encouraging stuff. This is potentially a playoff team. That's what people, everybody's saying for NOLA. So to come out and the free jacks do that in the first game, it's very, very encouraging. And a lot of people are looking at the next game as potential finals, perhaps. Uh, yeah. a final, you know, a rematch for the finals there. So, um, yeah. So my musket-sized pants in. I'm sure everybody was waiting for this here. Uh, I fully expected that the, this award would go to star signing Rodney Iona, who played in four super rugby games just last season but after that penalty that was in the ruck where he it was a bit of a dangerous play where he came mm. in and, and went uh you know yeah i wouldn't say he was targeting the head of josh larson but uh but he but he hit it but he hit his head <laughs> he hit his head yeah so. Uh, it, it could have been a yellow or maybe even worse. Um, some people were talking about how the referee wasn't really uh, impressive in this game, not, not a great performance from yeah. him. People were talking about the TMO. Um, I guess we can get to that in a moment. But uh, ultimately what took place is it seemed like he got really quiet in the game after that. Not a lot of, uh, you know, uh, individual yeah. performance from him beyond that point. So um, I, I'll just go out, you know, and say it. I expected him to be the guy. He wasn't for this uh, award. And nobody will know or really impressed me at all in this game so i'm just going to give this to cam dolan by default it is uh cam by, dolan by default. By he default. was disruptive how about he, cam dolan for his patience yeah. with the referee trying to explain calls we can talk we can talk about the referee if, if you want i have i have thoughts that are probably different than most people's i would i would say i they generally are and that's why i have you on the show um <laughs> <laughs> no but uh, for me it's cam dolan just kind of throwing it back to the referee's statements yeah, yeah, but yeah, yeah. go ahead yeah, um, you know, I, I, refereeing is never going to be perfect, and yes. I think I think this was a game where a lot of people noticed those imperfections. Mm -hmm. um, the biggest deficit and like thing to work on for the referee. There was some there was some 
questionable breakdown calls. Um, I think that Iona probably could have gotten a yellow and discipline committee may go back and look at it. Mm-hmm. Um, he, uh, I didn't, I didn't, you know, hyper analyze it, but I watched it back a few times. He definitely hits Josh's head, neck into head. And I mean, yeah. it, it seems like a yellow, um, they can go back. To be fair, it. Josh made a meal of it. He did. He did. He, he was down. He knows. But, <laughs> you know. But also, I imagine if I got hit like that by a, uh, uh, you know, uh, one Rodney Iona, I would uh, be in a little bit of pain, too. Sure. Um, it. The So the biggest actual work on, I think, um, is communication. That was what really made the refereeing in this match stand out and made people take notice. Mm-hmm. And refereeing is kind of like a scrum half. You you don't want people to notice it too That's much. Right. It, you want it almost to just be automatic and reliable. And when as much communication as there was, and I think that obviously it was very windy, the wind, they said on the broadcast, the, it's too windy, I can't hear you. So communication yes. between the TMO, the referee, and the ARs, the assistant mm-hmm. referees who are, are on the line with the flags, um, formerly known as touch judges. Um, what those guys are, are do, it was difficult for them to use their radio communications. Mm-hmm. Um, and that made it tough. All of what they say, I think, just goes into broadcast. So it's not like they can have a, a, a quiet chat amongst themselves. Like, yes. like, think about the NFL model, right? Mm-hmm. Referees talk to each other. We don't know what the hell they're saying. They're talking about, you know, what kind of stew are we going to make when we get home, for all we know. <laughs> right. um, and then one of them keys his mic and says, oh, I'm holding on the offense, five yards, you know. Yes. MLR is not working on that model. What they're What they're saying is on a mic – for the duration of the match, you know, we can hear the referee communicating with the captains. That's really cool. It's a thing that adds to rugby. Mm-hmm. Excuse me, coughing, but I muted no myself. Worries. It's okay. Um, in this instance, between the mics, you know, maybe a tough first match. Um, the communication just wasn't great. And we heard them having to repeat themselves, talk back over the same points. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that will really fluster you as a referee. Of course. And, yeah. and then it seemed like it was really difficult for um, referee uh, Francisco Lopez. Is that right? I believe um, you're correct. Yes, yeah, Cisco Lopez. Uh, it was difficult for Cisco Lopez to kind of get resettled. I mean, I really empathize that. I, I imagine a lot of people were watching the game kind of annoyed, mad, you know, oh, what the hell is this? I was just had that like... Me too. That that like kind of cringing feeling of like, oh my god, I cannot imagine yes. being in that position. And ha- then like you've got another sixty minutes to go. Like the mics aren't working, the captains are starting to get a little hot, and it's everything. When I was a coach, one thing I told my players is, you are only ever gonna make the referee's performance worse by mm-hmm. getting on the referee about what's going on. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm not talking about never. You know, the captains communicate. Mm-hmm. What captains need to communicate. There's dialogue with the referees. I'm talking about guys on the sidelines, yeah. other players in the team, you know. And, and the only thing that can happen when a ref gets rattled is that it's going to be harder for them to make those rapid fire, high pressure calls. So I think we saw that a little bit. He had difficulty explaining his thinking a few times. There was the, I think it was Matt Harmon not rolling away penalty where like, wasn't even really anywhere near the ball. It seemed more yeah, like it was weird. Like he was the all ref, to the side. Yeah. Yeah. Like he may have said the wrong guy and saw somebody else doing something he didn't like. But he also may have just 
made that snap decision that like that was a bad poach and then had to say like why was it a bad poach well i think that guy was lying on the ball and kind of working backwards to it almost a little bit yes which you you have to make a decision in the moment like you don't get the benefit of going well like hold on let me think about it right. what did i see i mean you if you're a really good referee you will see them occasionally slow things down and just say like just a moment just a moment Take a second, cap. I mean, they can do things to buy themselves times so while while they work out exactly what they're going to call. Mm -hmm. But um, it was it was it was challenging. Uh, another thing people talked about was um, the TMO. You know, looking for a reason to exclude a try. That is their job. That is mm -hmm. what they're there to do. They have instructions from Major League Rugby to check every try it for two potential obstruction. Like that? Yeah, yeah, exactly. They go mm -hmm. back. They don't. You know, they don't go back and watch the whole half with a fine tooth comb. But they do go a couple phases. That particular try was um, the one right before halftime. It was uh, the Mitch Wilson try, right? Um, yeah, Mitch Wilson try. It was on phases from like mm -hmm. five out. Uh, there was some blockers lines, which is where you have dummy runners running to engage defenders. There yep. was a little bumping. It, it deserved a check for obstruction. Mm -hmm. It got it, and it passed. But that wasn't something that the, the TMO decided needed to happen it wasn't like oh let right. me let me check that i i'm suspicious it was just them doing their job and communicating with the referee to hold mm -hmm. the kick because i'm still checking mm -hmm. um, probably because it was like i said it was a blockers play where there could have been obstruction so yep. it wasn't something where you can like watch it through quickly one time and be like yeah super clean no not even the possibility that it happened like you have to look at it with the referee's eye and which Amelia Luciano, the TMO did and then mm -hmm. said, that's all fine, but it takes, it takes a second. So she was just yes. saying to hold the kick while this process finishes mm -hmm. process is done. We're good. I will say this, you know, and obviously, you know, we're going to take the referee course. I would <laughs> never want to be in that position where it's like, you know, all eyes are on me. You know, it, we're in this high pressure situation. The you know, the wins and losses mean the, the most at that level, right? Right. And, and you're you know, you're talking I about mean, people's careers. I mean, that's that's the sure. le level of pressure. If I'm if I'm refereeing a club rugby match, like we're here for fun. Who cares? I might really yeah. suck. And at the end of the day, as long as everybody's safe, you know, whatever. The ref sucked, and we're all going back to work on Monday. But at this level, you're talking about people's professional careers, and that that's is right. that is something different and a different kind of pressure. And, you know, on, on the question was like, was Cisco Lopez good enough? Is this up to standard? No, mm -hmm. uh, I'm not saying like, oh, shucks, anybody can go out there and have that kind of day. Um, it, it does need to be better, but I do empathize with the referee. Yes, I and I think it's important for people, which for, for people to bear in mind that, you know, players go out there. How many penalties did we have? 25, you know, so 25 mistakes from the players, mm -hmm. you know, <clears throat> Fewer than that from Cisco Lopez, probably, even as much sure. as we want to complain. Yeah. He messed up a lot fewer than 25 times. So Definitely, no doubt. I will just say, like, in terms of just the overall game, one thing that was kind of frustrating for me is, like, obviously they can't control the weather. So, you know, th them having to, you know, clarify what they're saying or, or having to repeat that, that, all of that goes into, like, the, the time of the game and just 
the flow and stuff like that. And another thing I don't like is the rule where the scrums are just, you know, we're just taking, you know, five or four attempts on the scrum again. I don't, I mean, as a guy that used to be playing the, uh, in the forward area as a, a second Roman, like, I, of course, I want to be in every single scrum. Like, yeah, let's reset it. Who cares? Let's have fun, right? Because scrums yeah. are fun. But as a spectator, I'm just like, can we get on with this, please? Like, come on. It's just, I, I want to speed the game up, not slow it down. So I don't like that that's back. And also just, you know, the, the, the TMO checking everything and it's taking forever. Like, I don't want to see that i just want to see a quick game but of course you want to get the calls right so you know you got to meet somewhere in the middle there yeah yeah on the scrum resets like probably just being a little more proactive on the setup most Mm -hmm. of it we can they can only reset once after they've engaged so what he was doing was before they engage he was saying like no 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 stop like get let's get set up you guys are in the wrong spot a lot of positional stuff which means he's probably he's probably correct but he needed to be a little earlier in that. Yeah. Right? And note as they're setting up, no, 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 back up, back up. Okay, you're good there. Okay, you here. Should he need to a- manage it that actively? No, the players should be setting up correctly. But if they're not, he needs to be more proactive and stop mm-hmm. it. He wasn't as proactive as he could have been, which meant that he had to wait until all the binds are set. And then he'd be like, no, I don't like this. Yeah, We're going to reset. Good. And and he had to do it then because if he moves forward and it's a bad scrum, it's a player safety. That's, issue. it's a yeah. player safety issue, For and sure. like you only get one reset after the engagement. So like mm-hmm. that goes down, we can scrum again, but we can't. You know, we, that's it. So I I would guess that there's an emphasis this season on getting the setup right. We know we're only going to reset once once we engage. So like at the beginning when the teams are coming together, make sure everybody's in the right spot there. Um, I mean, I think Major League Rugby agrees with you about scrum resets. That's why there's a special law of saying that there's only one. Um, And, you know, I think the game is probably a... a, um, This match was an exception. We won't see that become a norm or anything, but it was something notable about the game. For sure. All right, let's move over to MVP, and I'll let you go first. (laughs) I had a tough time with this. We already talked about the front rows a bit. Um, Yeah. Who I th- I thought our front row is exceptional, mm-hmm. um, but John Poland's kicking and leadership were also exceptional. Yeah. He scored two tries, uh, twelve points. He's our Free Jacks points leader at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, there is no way to pass him up for MVP for me on this uh, for this match. He was rock solid at nine. You have to have a rock solid nine to be a highly competitive team. Yep. Um, and he demonstrated why he has consistently been one of the best scrum halves in Major League Rugby down in New Orleans this past Absolutely. weekend. Absolutely. It's so, hard. John to dis- Yes. It's hard yeah. to disagree with that as the Little Magician scored two tries, but I'm going to go ahead and do this <laughs> at this point. Um, my MVP of the match is Jason Patras. This is a guy that is, you know, replacing Waka at the 10 position. A lot of, you know, external pressure i guess is the best way to describe it this guy has to perform and in his first match as a free jack first match in mlr he absolutely does that which is very exciting to see um he was also the man of the match for on the broadcast um you know he gets the nod for me first game in mlr the guy killed it and bagged himself a try and was uh involved in a couple more and started assist is not really a thing in rugby but he was definitely (laughs) passing the ball off to get it to where it needed to be um, you know, ultimately also very good off the tee. I think he might've missed one conversion, made another one. And then I think made all of the conversion kicks, if I'm correct on that. Um, but yeah, thought he looked pretty good. Yeah, he was, uh, he was very good. Um, I enjoyed that when he scored his try, I definitely did the leaping fist pump. 
of, <laughs> of excitement. Yep. I, I like to think of it, and th this is me making shit up, just to be clear to people. <laughs> but I, I like to think of it from his perspective coming in as a replacement for Waka, and everybody's talking about, you know, big shoes to fill, league MVP. Yep. It's all true. But also, like, remember, they know each other. Like yes, they, played they played against together. each other and, and to end together, yeah. Like yes, they played on the same team at Toronto. They're, like yep. they're they're NPC guys, and I'm yes. sure his his perspective was like, yeah, like of course I could hang with Wax. I did it before, and I can do it now. Like this is yep. not, you know, uh, he he showed up to do his job. He did mm -hmm. not have to have the sort of starstruck wonder that we all had right. about around Waka's performance, um, and. You know, he he delivered in that match. I think it's a good pick. Um, he played really well. His passing was very good, really, mm -hmm. really crisp. Crisp. Yeah. I mean, um, it's hard. That 10 is making those snap decisions. You read the defense and you've got three different people you might pass it to, and you gotta pass it to the right one and mm -hmm. be calling the right play so everybody knows who's gonna get it. It's a complicated role, and he For sure. he made it look um really simple i mean he threw good pat big skip loopy skip passes out to the wing mm -hmm. he threw really precise little lasers into you know the um uh the centers and the forwards crashing in the midfield uh he worked out of the back of the pods really well he did he did uh, a great job so good pick I agree, man. You know, I, I'm proud of him. Like, w this is a guy that came onto the show in the off season. This is a guy that I talked to in Houston for an extensive amount of time on the sideline because he wasn't playing, a little banged up in that uh, prior in that preseason game. And I'm just happy for him. Like, I and this is coming from the guy that gave them the lowest grade I think that I had given out <laughs> in that position group. Was that some type of uh, you know uh, psychological thing? I mean, I mean maybe so. Uh, <laughs> you be the judge. <laughs> you be the judge. Uh, but yeah, just super excited for him. And, you know, obviously John Poland in his fourth year as a free Jack is going to go down as one of those legendary players. And he continues to uh, create his uh, legendary performances uh, in front of our eyes right now. So that's something that we'll be telling our kids about uh, down the road. Uh, let's see here. Um, with that being said, any final thoughts about uh, the free Jacks beating Nola, the fourth win in the row, by the way, against our little brothers, the Nola gold. Um, it, it was a really fun way to start the season. Kudos to the coaching and leadership groups for having everybody dialed in and ready to perform like they did. Mm -hmm. um, I already made this joke in our group chat, but copyright law sucks because I can't make a video of all the little scuffly fights to Warren Zevon's excitable boy, which would oh, be hilarious. Yes, excitable boy as they're shoving each other and not <laughs> quite punching each other because they're not dumb. Allowed, yep. But yeah, exactly. Doing everything but punching each other as they're grabbing jerseys and tussling around. Mm -hmm. um, it was fun. There was a lot of fire on both teams too, which we didn't really talk about a lot. It ended up, there weren't never any cards or anything, but it was, it was, it was a spicy match. It it's was. always it's always spicy with nola yeah. um maybe it's all that cajun food could be could be crawfish broil for sure all <laughs> right uh with that being said we're going to exit this segment and then go right into the san diego legion preview so the people that are watching right now look for the next video uh the live stream it'll be coming out here in a moment and we'll talk to you then in three two one huzzah, huzzah! Huzzah, Rangers. This is Phil Harris here at the Jacks Rangers Show. I am joined with my brother, Dave McVeigh. Dave, how the hell are you? I am doing fantastic. And I think we should never retire the Dallin Stanford intro video. Unless he pays us a handsome uh, ransom. 
to <clears throat> free him. Even though he's no longer the voice of the Free Jacks, we're going to keep him around. Uh, and we miss him up here, although I see he's enjoying a lot of beach rugby down in Southern California. And yes, was he is. sideline reporter for um, the yep. San Diego match. So Interestingly enough, that's exactly what we're going to be talking about because our your New England Free Jacks, our New England Free Jacks, are going to be playing the San Diego Legion. Uh, what is it, a Sunday game? Is it Sunday this week? Yes, yes it is because I was looking hand. at tickets to fly out and it will not work. <laughs> so Yes, yeah, so we got one of our Rangers, uh, Ranger James, who's a big fan of ours on Twitter and Instagram. He will be flying, making the long trip from Boston to San Diego. Super excited for him. I hope he uh, has a great time and sees the Free Jacks win, you know, at that new, brand new stadium that we'll get into here in a moment. So what I wrote down here is in week one, San Diego, San Diego, excuse me, beat Utah 33-17. to a traditional powerhouse in the Western Conference, but last season they underachieved, and I did predict that. I said that they were a little bit too old in certain positions, yeah. and I think that was fair to say. You know, uh, Chris Robshaw was injured a lot of the season. Ma'anano didn't look like himself. Um, Joe Peterson, you know, uh, a stalwart at, at uh, and I think maybe one of the leading point scorers in the entire league. Yeah. Uh, but uh, he's 38 years old now, so. Um, so I just felt like they, they were going to underperform, and that's exactly what happened. I think they finished 8-8, eight and eight, but they made the playoffs only because the Gill teams, of course, were disqualified from the playoffs, uh, and they were quickly dispatched from the playoffs uh, by Seattle uh, in that eliminator round prior to the Western Conference Finals. Um, from here, I wanted to say let's fast forward to this season. They have a brand new stadium, Snapdragon, that is owned by the university there, the University of San Diego Aztecs, I believe is who they are, the college team there. Anywho, I think it seats about 30,000. They had 11,500 people for the opening game there in Snapdragon, which is a new record for MLR. That's pretty cool. Um, let's see if they can maintain that number. I mean, that's a lot of people to view a rugby game. But one of the things I think that helps them is obviously the the football team is not playing at that time, the university team, and there's no longer a professional football team in San Diego for the NFL. They moved up right. to L.A. So um, let me see here. Amazingly enough, San Diego only had seven returning forwards. That was it. All of them, the rest of the guys – um, you know, uh, left the team. So very much a rebuild on that side of the squad. Chris Robshaw, you know, retiring former England captain, one of the most famous uh, players to ever uh, come into MLR. Uh, he has left the program. Yep. Their stalwart Joe Peterson is not returning currently. He's still in South Africa. Um, let me see here. What what one of their replacements in the forwards just to come right in to uh, Chris Robshaw's position as a guy that I'm sure you're aware of, uh, Cowan, uh, who was a Scottish international and also uh, played in the Premiership quite a bit. Um, Blair yeah. Cowan, that's his name. Yep. Let me see here. Um, one of the things that's kind of an interesting storyline coming into this game is did Justice Sears Duru, a Canadian international who the Free Jacks picked up from L.A. in the dispersal draft, you know, did not sign on with the Free Jacks, but is now basically a backup prop for San Diego. So that's going to be interesting to see if he um, comes on to the game or maybe gets selected as the starter to see yeah. how well he plays against a team that wanted to bring him in and it just didn't work out for whatever reason. Maybe he just wanted to play in the warm weather down there in Southern California. <laughs> Why would you even want to? But uh, that is what it is. Um, let me see here. 
The big threat from San Diego this time around is their backs. Like they have basically two deep uh, at every single position. I'm going to name off some of these players here, Dave, and it is really wild to think that Nate Osberger uh, continues to play for them, a U.S. Yep. international. Uh, Will Hooley, a U.S. international, plays for them. Ma'anano is back, All Blacks legend, one of the most famous rugby players of all time, continues to play for them. Mikey Teo, who was the 2021 MLR MVP, has now made his way back to his hometown of San Diego from Utah in a trade. Um, so they have a lot of depth in the backs, and they were very, very explosive. I'm sure you'll be able to talk about this here in a moment. Uh, when they played against um, Utah with ball in hand, that running rugby, yeah. they look really, really dangerous. So uh, they will challenge for the top of the West. I have them in my way-too-early predictions at the top of the West at the end of the regular season. So uh, if, if there's any indication if their performances will be the way that the first game went, it, it looks like they really could be – uh, right up there as uh, you know, finalists or maybe even potential champions of this whole entire uh, you know competition this year. Yeah, one thing to keep in mind though is that they're the oldest team in MLR once again with the average age of 29, which is pretty you know pretty up there for sure. I mean you're you're getting you're past your prime and then kind of getting into the the senior years at that point. So Dave, what, what do you make of this San Diego Legion team? <clears throat> Yeah, they're. I think they're a very strong team. I picked them to finish very high in the West. Mm-hmm. Um, Marcel Brahi is another guy in their back line who I don't think yes. you mentioned. You, you mentioned Nate Augsburger, Mikey Teo, yes. Ma Nonu. That is that is quite a 12, 13, 14, 15 right there. Mm-hmm. Those guys are, are all international players, yes. right? And, and not some of them not just international players. Ma Nonu is a Hall of Famer. Yes. Um, <clears throat> they also, they're 10, Josh Henderson, very good. Had a really good game against Utah. Scored a couple tries. Um, he is a young Scottish player um, and acquitted himself really well. He showed up late last season because of some visa issues. So he was signed for, I think, the whole of 2022, but not able to play for most of it. I think he just had a couple appearances. Um, he was there this past week. He started, and he looked he looked very good. Another guy to keep an eye on in the forwards, Sama Malolo. Um, this guy was a truck stick. The, the match is a fun one, um, the San Diego-Utah match from last yes. week. Um, give it a watch. Sama Malolo just absolutely <laughs> destroys people. Um, very powerful runner. Definitely somebody they're going to have to keep an eye on. Um, they picked up Isaac Ross, the yes. law, New Zealand lock, all black, who is uh, – they got he comes from Austin. Mm-hmm. Um, and I believe he is nine and a half feet tall, if I'm correct. <laughs> it might be slightly off. Yeah, he's um, a disruptor in the he's, lineout for sure. He's a, he's a real, real asset in their lineout. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, they they've they've really put together a, a very solid team. Uh, we'll see if they can be as consistent as they'll need to be to finish where I think that they'll finish. But um, they're looking good. I mean, God, they got Christian Poitavin on on, on the bench. Um, they got they got backup guys like uh, Justice Sears Duru, who you mentioned, yes. Chris Bowman, a USA prop. Yeah, he's, he's real fun. He's got he's got big like I've never met the man in life. He might he might be the kindest most gentle <laughs> man on earth but he's he's got like shank you in an alley vibes For like sure. he's you know he just yep. you see him it's like ooh, okay don't piss off chris bowman got mm-hmm. it um 
yeah, they're they're a really really solid team. Uh, I think underperformed last season. Yes, and uh, that can really put totally. a hunger in your belly. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, it's gonna it's a big match coming up. I'm really excited. My friend uh, Mike was able to go to the match. He's lives out in San Diego. Um, I've known him for years. He's a season ticket holder. Actually, mm-hmm. he was he's my buddy I've talked about who is eagerly awaiting snapdragon so that he could become a season ticket holder he was just sure. not going to go up to that sports deck um, uh, a parking deck, yeah right? top yeah. of a parking deck he was like Crazy. no that's okay it's san yeah. diego are you familiar with the sun <laughs> um <clears throat> but yeah he he had an absolutely great time i was talking nice. to him a lot sounds like they are doing things right at snapdragon um, I know they gave the cohort their own locker room, their fan group, the Roman Legionary guys. They have a, they have a, more than two locker rooms, you know. So they have Wild. they they set them up with a locker room that they can use to store their stuff and change into their costumes and all that. They really appreciated that. Um, sounds like a, a great fan experience at the stadium. They had a big old uh, cocktail tasting party he okay. did uh you know he's sending me all the pictures of all the the mixed drinks he was having and everything it was it was an absolute party there so nice. I, I think it's huge for the league to have that stadium in the mix i'm excited to, that the free jacks get to go out there um, mm-hmm. i can't wait to ask some of the guys what they thought just about the facilities in general we'll see what the we'll keep an eye out for those behind the sheds uh, oh, yes. uh, interviews. We'll get a look in the uh, or in the sheds, rather, right? Not yes. behind the sheds. We don't talk about it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. That's what uh, the Free Jacks did to Nola. Actually, uh, in the <laughs> game. they took him behind the shed. I'm yeah. I'm just thinking of Moakley Park, where there's just a big old storage container near the field where everybody practiced for years and years, and it just is. It's a public urinal. Is what it is. <laughs> it's, it's not anything, but it's the place you can go to have some privacy. Hilarious. Um, so yeah, we don't go back behind the sheds unless gotcha. you want to step in a puddle. <laughs> All right. Uh, I will say this about two things. I'm glad you missed, uh, mentioned Isaac Ross. Excellent pickup for them. You know, definitely a disruptor and a target in the lineout for them. Uh, another guy with the last name Franklin, I believe he has super rugby experience, or if not, he was in the fringes on the development squads. He is his counterpart, essentially. Uh, and then one more guy that I will mention that Brian Ray happened to talk about in his excellent videos. If you guys haven't seen him, like, go watch Ray's Rugby on YouTube. Yeah. He's just absolutely killing it. A guy by the name of last name of Judd uh, is coming over from Super Rugby, I believe, um, and it has basically slotted in as this starting scrum half. And Nate Osberger, who is a cap USA Eagle, Eagle multiple, multiple cap US Eagle at that position, has just moved over to wing, yeah. no big deal, and was absolutely killing it in the previous game. Got back himself at least one try that I saw. So yeah. uh, they are scary, man. In the backs, it is absolute. It's a murderer's row with those guys. Like they can, they can really hurt you. Uh, so, yeah. Um, I will move over to key to the game if that's okay. If you would like yeah. to, uh, I'll go first this time around. What I've got here is because we're talking about their dangerous back uh, uh, line players. I wanted to say that basically you can't smother these guys. You can't stop them you can only hope to contain them so i've got defense must contain so if we want to have any way of winning this game again we're going across the country from the you know northeast all the way to southern california it's gonna be like a six and a half hour flight 
it's it's i mean it seems like it's going to be a long week so that's good maybe they yeah. get there a couple days early perhaps you know they're, they're great partners at delta is going to take care of them of course but that is still hell on your body um so this is a game that i think i predicted in the way too early predictions that they would lose this game obviously i'm not predicting that at this point because we don't really pick against our own team on this show but i'll just say that if you want to win this game as a free jack you have to contain them and obviously the defensive system that the free jacks have is very very good um and it's been that way forever essentially and especially since scott matthew has been here we've really executed that very well our defensive uh, stands are very very good and they generally cause turnovers to take place and we get that transition play that we'll have so mm -hmm. if you want to win this game you the defense must contain these excellent backs what you got uh, very similar, Phil. Uh, my key to the game, scramble defense. Yes. So they are going to break the line. Yes. San Diego are going are gonna to at times make it through our defensive line, our first effort mm -hmm. defense. And it's going to be really critical that we then can scramble out mm -hmm. to shut down support play off of that break. Yes. Get the, you know, make the next tackle cover the supporting defenders and make sure that they can't string together these mm -hmm. long 30 40 meter you know offload um, chains of, yes. of a run um, i think our scrambled defense is going to be really important um <clears throat> and uh it'll it'll definitely be even even if it's excellent we're still going to see some you know this is something that san diego do very well is break that line and then just yeah and then they just cap. They can capitalize mm -hmm. on it. They're frankly they're a little bit like New York was last season in that right. same way. Fans, you know, have seen New York play a lot, so maybe that's an easier reference point for mm -hmm. them, sort of. Very good, um, yeah. But think about the way that New York. Once they break that line, you kind of you're you're going, oh shit! Yes. Like wh what is going to happen <laughs> now? Because they're very good at this, turning that breakthrough into Absolutely. something. So San Diego is is similar. Our scramble defense will be really important. Um, getting us out of those those oh shit moments. I agree, and I think it's more like a, a you know from a football standpoint, it's like a bend don't break type of yeah. defensive struggle that we're going to have here. So you know we know that they're going to break the line. They're super talented. We can expect that. But that scramble and that contain, if you will, just you know don't let them get in every single time right. that they have the ball. That would be. I think if they put up 33 points, which they did against Utah, we lose this game. I think is a, is a, kind of giving away what my uh, score prediction may be. But I think if if you let them play their type of game. Uh, and execute very well, then the Free Jacks will not win this game. So um, with that being said, I'm going to move over to my score prediction, and I'll let you go first. Okay. Oh, we're, yeah. we're bringing the dice. Oh, you bring got the, the dice out the dice. Again, Oh, right? yeah, yeah. We're we're embracing the gods of prob probability now. I got 24. Okay. And I got 18. So it's going to oh. be 24 to the Free Jacks, 18 Love it. To San Diego, uh, I think it's going to be a tight match, and the Free Jacks will emerge ahead. I'd say that's pretty, pretty on the ball. You, I'm guessing, are predicting a little higher scoring than that. Slightly. Um, I will say that Chris Lynn is saying he's got Jacks by four. We by love foe. that. Um, Jacks by ninety will be the hashtag that we continue to use <laughs> throughout the uh, the entire year. But my true score prediction is actually we we have nailed both of our New England scores are the exactly the same. Twenty four New England. And this is going to be razor thin because, again, I did predict them to lose this game. But in my official score prediction, I'm saying that San Diego will have 23. So a one-point victory for our Free Jacks. I think this will be very close. 
Um, and I just, I hope that the Free Jacksons come ahead in this one. But my, my head is telling me otherwise in this one. Uh, so, yeah. But uh, there you go. Uh, that is our my official prediction. 23 for San Diego and 24 for our New England Free Jacks. Very, very close game. Razor thin there. But, uh, yeah, as long as we can contain them to a certain extent, I think that we will have the firepower, as we've seen against NOLA. You know, we can score some tries. We just have to make sure they score less. And that yep. is my official hot take of the day. <laughs> score more tries than they do. Uh, Call him Madden, ladies and gentlemen. There you go. Thank you very much. Uh, let's see here. we got Chris Lynn throwing in something here. Jason, Jason Potras nails the nails penalty. The penalty. Walk off the one by one. Oh, boy, wouldn't that be something, huh? You heard it here first. And keep in mind, guys, this is the last uh, little away game prior to the Free Jacks opening weekend. I think we'll obviously have a bye, right, uh, before that takes place. Is that true or false, David? Um, yes. Look at but- my calendar. Yeah, we'll have because it is uh, March 11th is the home opener. Yep. So, yep, we play this uh, Sunday, the 26th, will Mm -hmm. be the match against San Diego. Next week, they have a rest week. And then uh, the March 11th will be the St. Patrick's Day Stout Festival. It will be fantastic. I can guarantee the weather will not be worse than last year. So, come on out and have a good time. It'll be exciting. It will be very good. Super excited. You know, uh, you, you you have to say without over, you know, talking too much about it here, this could be a potential finals matchup here uh, very, very early on in the season. But wouldn't it be nice if the Free Jacks, you know, slide into their home game 2-0? and You know, just a lot of excitement. We're obviously playing D.C. in that home game. So, And with a bye to kind of study and see what they're doing, yeah, you got to feel good about the Free Jacks' chances. But first, we have to – defeat the legion so uh with that being said any final thoughts uh i can't wait for this game uh my buddy mike is going to be back again uh section 106 um snapdragon looks amazing i hope the players have a great time uh for many of these guys this may be the biggest and fanciest shiniest brand newest venue that they ever yeah, uh, have played it. Not that they ever will, but ever have up to this point in their career. So good for them for making it to a venue like that. Uh, and I hope that they enjoy it. LA Coliseum, I guess, last year would be pretty comparable. Sure. Um, but it's just a cool it's just a cool place. I'm excited for the players to get to go yeah. and uh, live it up there. Um, and we could think as well about how, how far the league has come um, yeah. from when it started and when we started. You know, the Free Jacks fans going to those first few matches and walking over the you know, fill gravel, yeah. uh, get in <laughs> players changing on, you know, on top of that in a tent, Intense, yeah. and then going from that to, you know, beautiful brand new locker rooms at a state of the art, uh, stadium out in San Diego. Pretty awesome. It is awesome for sure. I'm excited for the, that, uh, San Diego franchise cause they went through hell during COVID. I feel like they played in like Las Vegas at a certain uh, point yeah, cause they, they couldn't be in California. What a mess yeah. that whole process was. And then they were playing on top of a parking deck as you were mentioning earlier. So it's good to have, to have that franchise, you know, at a home that they can really call their own for essentially. Yeah. And, uh, I was very skeptical, obviously when they first announced it, it's like 30,000, it's a college football stadium. I was like, Oh, that's, I mean, that's cool. But it, I mean, if nobody's there, like it's going to look like shit on TV, but they got 11, thousand people there and it broke the, the the record for uh attendance so i hope that they can continue that momentum throughout the whole year and you know and get those type of big numbers because that would really be helpful for the entire league so yeah um with that being said 
I've got uh, one word for everybody in three, two, one. Huzzah! Huzzah! All right, Rangers, tell us how we did. Send us an email at jacksrangershow at gmail.com. Continue to interact with us on social media to drive up those engagement numbers. We really appreciate all of the Rangers that do that. Make sure you're subscribed on YouTube if you haven't done that yet. Make sure you're giving us a five-star review on whatever podcasting platform that you listen to this on. Super excited for this week two matchup against San Diego. Should be a really good game down there in Southern California. Shout out to all the Rangers that are making that trip. Should be a doozy. And with that being said, I've only got a couple words for you guys as we ride off into the sunset here on episode 66. Go free, Jacks. Beat San Diego. Saddle up. Let's ride and huzzah. Woo!